the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, it is. And a good morning. Thanks for joining us. We are Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. And it's a Friday, a free-for-all Friday. The fifth morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Got a big program lined up for you coming up. Looking forward to hearing from you at 216-901-0945 and at 888-281-1110. Obviously, that's the most important. I mean, I want you to understand that, by the way. Each and every day when I tell you our guest list, um, the most important uh, guest that I have every day is you, seriously. Whether you're calling me or listening or messaging me or sounding off on the um, uh, on the sound off page uh, or sound off button, I should say, on the Always Right Radio page, um, doesn't matter. Uh, any way that you come through, any any way you've got something to offer, uh, that makes you the most, the, the most important guest that I have each and every day. So I really want you to be a part of that. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to Steve Loomis, who is the former... Uh, the former um, president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, the union head, and uh, he held that uh, position for actually two different terms. And uh, he's going to join us to talk about 
what the city council finally started addressing yesterday. Staffing, police staffing, and why Cleveland cops are in literal jeopardy every time they strap on their sidearm and they pull on their vest and they go out into this city. See, the city of Cleveland is a very, very violent place. All right? And I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It is a very violent place. We just got numbers a couple of days ago um, uh, telling us who the most violent cities are in terms of homicide rates across the country. And guess what? Cleveland is on that list. Cleveland is actually very high on that list, talking about per capita, talking about Cleveland's ever-shrinking and declining um, population. You know, the people continue to flee with good reason, as we're talking about. Um, but even with the population declining, the murder rates stay, or the murders stay high. And so, therefore, the rate gets higher. And, uh, and Cleveland has, has a well-deserved reputation as being one of the worst places in the world with respect to homicides and violent crime. So you got this violent crime rate that's through the roof. You got this homicide rate that's through the roof. And Cleveland police officers are supposed to deal with it. And they can't deal with it because they continue to be extraordinarily undermanned by the Cleveland, uh, the city of Cleveland leadership. They met yesterday to talk about, uh, I beg your pardon, Wednesday. They met Wednesday to talk about uh, police staffing. The budget is currently set for 1,640 officers. Now, what that means is, that means they have the money for that. That they they wouldn't have to like you know raise city taxes or get a grant from somebody or anything of that nature. They don't have to apply for help from the state of Ohio or from the federal government. They already have the budget for one thousand six hundred forty officers, but currently there are only one thousand three hundred fifty eight that are on staff, that are on duty, that are sworn in officers. That means they're down 282 officers. It's the lowest number of cops that have been on the beat and on duty in this city in decades. Decades. Since January 1st of this year alone, 139 left the department. Half of them are retirements. The other half are resignations. People just saying, I'm out. Can't deal with this anymore. I've got the civilian review board breathing down my neck with every single move that I make. I'm making a fraction percentage-wise of what they're making in Columbus and in Cincinnati and other big cities in the state of Ohio. Um, and I have no support. And we're undermanned. I mean, this is, a, this is a joke. This is a terrible situation. And I have this story at the same time I have this story. The National FOP, the National Fraternal, Fraternal Order of Police, announced on Monday that so far this year, over 200 police officers have been shot as violent crime continues to swell and to spike across the country, in large part due to the overwhelming pro-criminal and anti-victim attitude that is fostered by prosecutors in big blue cities like Cleveland. Prosecutors who won't do their jobs. Prosecutors who, uh, you know, and, and judges who have reformed bail laws and given no cash bail and putting criminals right back out on the street after officers risk themselves to bring them in. Cops are getting shot. The FOP said this 200 officers being shot this year 
has, is a 14% increase compared to the same time last year. Over 71 of the officers were shot in ambush-style attacks. 39 of them were fatal. This is an astounding number. Oh, I beg your pardon. I said 200. It's not 200. It's over 200. And now I see the real number. It's 210. 210 officers shot through August 1st of this year. So cops continue to be targeted. Cops continue uh, to to not have the support, particularly here in Cleveland, but in a lot of other places in big cities, not have the support of their uh, leadership, not have the support of their mayors, not have the support of their um, uh, their uh, city councils. Maybe facing you know consent decrees like the ones signed uh, during the Obama administration that are still in effect. Maybe dealing with civilian review boards who have nothing but axes to grind against the cops that may have arrested uh, people in their communities. And they're getting killed at record, or getting shot at record rates. It's an astounding thing. So I'm looking forward to that conversation with Steve Loomis. That'll be coming up at uh, 9.35 this morning, so in about 20 minutes. And it is as it is 9.15 now, I should probably take this time and ask you as a patriot that I know that you are to rise. Face your flag if you have one. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are driving, you may remain seated, but you'll go ahead and do the hand thing on the heart. You can drive with your left hand for about 15 seconds while we do our pledge. If you are a Brandon-supporting American leftist that doesn't believe in policing, that believe in abolishing or defunding police by way of attrition, the way many in this city do, Let them retire, let them resign, and don't replace them. And look at what you're doing. You're literally shrinking uh, uh, and uh, reimagining and essentially abolishing police departments, defunding through attrition. If you believe that that's the best way to keep this country safe, you have no idea what this country was founded upon. And that flag, well, you're exempted from pledging your allegiance to it. You instead can go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and next to your favorite pink-haired female soccer player. Well, the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, 16 minutes, now 17 minutes after the hour. I want to get into the big story, or one of the big stories. There are several this morning to talk about. Yesterday, the President of the United States declared the midterm pox is a national health emergency. That's right, the midterm pox. That's got to be the new name for monkeypox. Because here we are, less than 100 days out from the midterm elections that they know full well are going to lead to an end to Democrat control in Washington, D.C., by way of the House of Representatives and possibly by way of the Senate as well. They have declared monkeypox to be a national health emergency. What does that mean? What does it mean for there to be a national health emergency? Well, the last time we were told there's a national health emergency for COVID-19, the Wuhan flu, the Chinese coronavirus, um, the entire country had to be locked down. Nobody was allowed to be in public places. Nobody was allowed to be in close quarters with others. Everybody had to chill out. And just stay in your house unless you were essential. As a matter of fact, we can't even let you out to vote. Because if we let you out to vote, you're going to be near other people, you see. And we can't have you near other people because that's just way too dangerous. 
You can't be near other people. So what we're going to do is we're going to send votes, or send uh, ballots, rather, to everybody. Not absentee ballots to those who have requested them. Live ballots to everybody who has ever been on the rolls. Currently, in the past, whenever. And we're going to just... Have you send them back in? And you know what? We're not going to match signatures. And you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to even check the postmarks. If they come in after the election, or if they were even mailed after the official election day, we're going to let those count, too. In other words, we're going to repeat what we did in November of 2020, creating the most chaotic election result in the history of American politics, even more so than the 2000 election, which saw the Supreme Court have to get in, involved and stop the recounting and recounting of hanging chads in Florida. So this is where we are. The last time they had a national health emergency like this, um, the elections were completely fraudulent. They were completely unsecured. And now here we are, less than 100 days in, and the Brandon administration has declared monkeypox is a national health, public health emergency. Confirmed cases of monkeypox now in our nation of 330 plus million is 26,800. You say, well, that is a lot. Well, percentage wise, no, it's not, but that's okay. Let's let's call it a lot for the sake of calling it a lot, just to just to give them a, the the benefit of the doubt here. So, what is the threat to the general uh, public? What is the threat to this national public uh, in this national public emergency? How serious is it? Well, let's look at the science and let's ask science to answer this question for us. Um, science is uh, is generally uh, referred to. Uh, by some of the most prolific and profound and uh, and well-respected uh, scientific journals in all of the world, like, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine. Maybe we could ask them what's going on here. Well, according to the most recent study of monkeypox, as reported by the New England Journal of Medicine, 95% of monkeypox cases in the United States have been transmitted during homosexual sex between men. That was 95%, which would mean that just 5% were transmitted in another way, probably from some kind of close contact with, even if not during the course of homosexual sex, but during contact with those who have had such sex, gotten infected, and then passed it on to others through non-sexual transmission. But if you want to do the math, just for the sake of the, 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 the story here, if the confirmed cases of monkeypox worldwide, oh, I'm sorry, I think I said nationally, that's 26,800 worldwide. That's an over 7 billion people. So obviously much fewer in the United States, let's see, here's the number. As Oh, here it is. As of Thursday, yesterday in the declaration, 7,000. Okay, so my apologies. 7,100 confirmed cases of monkeypox in the United States. 95% of those, and I'm not going to pull out my, my calculator here, but let's just say that 100% of 7,100 is 7,100. 95% is going to be around uh, 7,000. So that means... Roughly 100 cases of non-homosexual sex infection of Americans. A hundred. A hundred out of 330 million people. And Joe Brandon is going to call that a 
national public health emergency. And you say to yourself, yeah, but where, where did that science come from? Well, again, I don't work for the New England Journal of Medicine, but those who do study these things, and this is a peer-reviewed paper that has found that 95% of the global monkeypox outbreak is driven by sex between men. Sexually promiscuous men with multiple partners. The outbreak began... It is believed by the scientists in mid-spring gatherings of gay and bisexual men in Europe. And it has since alarmed such experts by ballooning to that uh, total that I just mentioned. Now infectious disease specialists are developing an increasingly refined understanding of the predominant conduits of monkeypox transmission, as well as the typical disease course patterns. Jennifer Nuzzo, epidemiologist at Brown University, said of the new study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, quote, these data point clearly to the fact that infections are so far almost exclusively occurring among men who have sex with men. End quote. So what we are talking about, we are talking about not a public health emergency. We are talking about lifestyle choices, behavioral decisions leading to the infection of this very, very horrific disease, quite frankly. What we are talking about is an STD, a sexually transmitted disease that is being spread among sexually promiscuous, unprotected gay men. That's not a public health emergency. That is a behavioral decision. That is a lifestyle choice. I read another article last night about monkeypox patients speaking out about the loneliness and the pain of their infections, admitting what's happening with them. Quote, I have a promiscuous nature and I have casual sex, but that particular weekend that I would have gotten it, I was not being that wild. According to him, on the 4th of July weekend, he had taken his shirt off in crowded gay bars where countless sweaty men rub up against one another. He says he believes he caught MPV, monkeypox virus, by kissing someone. Quote, I probably made out with several people at the bar, and a whole lot of hugging went on. Again, monkeypox is an STD driven by a lifestyle choice, driven by a behavioral decision. It is not a public health emergency. And yet the President of the United States has declared it so less than 100 days from the midterm elections. Can you figure out why? I'll let you ponder that as we take our break at 925 Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-eight now. Always right. Radio on AM 1420. The answer coming up in a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about crime in Cleveland. More specifically, we're going to talk about homicides in Cleveland. And we're going to talk about why it is the city of Cleveland continues to abandon its police force and thus abandon its citizenry. 
how can you possibly police a violent city like Cleveland where the homicide numbers continue to be off the charts with 282 fewer officers than are budgeted? And even if you had those extra 282 and you're at budget, you probably still need more if you want to do the kind of community policing that the uh, new mayor, the boy mayor, would like to do. The young mayor of Cleveland uh, seems to have it all figured out, except for the fact that uh, this city continues to be the same thing it was under Frank Jackson, and that is one of the worst uh, cities in the country for homicides. The latest numbers are out, and the latest numbers on the police budget and staffing levels are out as well. City Council held a, me- held a meeting about it. Uh, a lot of lip service, maybe not a lot of answers. Coming up, Steve Loomis, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association and still a very outspoken member of that union, uh, talks about uh, what the city council is doing and what is really driving the uh, number of Cleveland police officers out of this city and onto other forces and into other places. So we'll talk to him next after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Admit a little disappointed. I expected Bad Boys to be playing there. That's usually what we bring in Steve Loomis to. Uh, bad Boys, Bad Boys. What you going? Well, maybe the reason why Johnny didn't play it is because the police aren't coming for you anymore. Uh, you know, uh, reality is there's just not enough of them. They're not coming anymore. Um, let me give you the background here before I bring Steve in on the national murder rate. It's not New York City or Chicago, L.A., or L.A., which you may have expected as the, quote, murder capital of the world uh, or of the country, but rather the U.S. city with the highest per capita murder rate. And that means, of course, number of homicides uh, per, uh, per, per the population is New Orleans, followed by Baltimore and then Birmingham, Alabama. Police records, or excuse me, police records from cities with populations over 200,000 revealed a surprising result in the murder rates of the top 31 cities. New York and L.A. are near the bottom of the list, while Chicago is in the middle. Even though Chicago has an astounding number of murders, it's a very highly populated city. So by per capita standards, um, they're just in the middle. Near the top of the list, however, is Cleveland. Cleveland is joined by St. Louis, Milwaukee, and Rochester, New York, uh, uh, as what some might consider a surprise. The top six cities in uh, murder rates per capita this year are New Orleans, Baltimore, Birmingham, St. Louis, Milwaukee, and ding, 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 there it is, Cleveland. Now, the number that they associate with this rate rating may not be accurate, though. They say that there have been, through June 20th of this year, 64 murders in the city of Cleveland. Based on its population, that's a rate of 16, uh, yeah, 16.9. But uh, I have a feeling that those numbers might not be up to date. And joining us now to talk about exactly what that means and about the problem with policing in the city of Cleveland and staffing is former Cleveland Police Patrolman's Association President Steve Loomis. Steve, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. So we'll get into the city council meeting that was held on Wednesday as they addressed the staffing issue, which uh, you and I have talked about many times on the air and off the air, Steve. 
But mm-hmm. to to the before we get into the staffing, I want to talk about the rate of crime in Cleveland, particularly rate of violent crime. Violent crime is up all over the country, in usually in large Democrat-run cities, large urban city centers with Democrat leadership, not just in the present, but for a very, very, very long time. Cleveland, I think, fits that bill, and we see a lot of violent crime on the rise in general. What is your what is you how do you react rather to the list that I just read as far as Cleveland being the sixth most uh sixth highest uh murder rate per capita in the country? Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, we've been in the top 5 or 6 um for decades. <laughs> you know, um it's per 100,000 residents. And um these are problems that are are easily fixed. I mean, we can we can make improvements in those things. You just have to have the political will to do it, and that's what we're lacking here in Cleveland right now, is a political will. We have 101 homicides today. This date last year, we had 100. So we're right on pace with what we where we were last year. And last year, I think we were third um, uh, for the homicide rate per 100,000 residents. So what's the... Uh, um, What's the record? Because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I've had you on last year at some point. You said it was a new record that broke the record set the year before. Uh, are, are we kind of in that in that in that place right right now, where each year that goes by it goes up a little bit more? Well, yeah. I mean, we're definitely not in a good place. Uh, in 2021, we had 189 um, homicides. You know, so when you're a city of 340, 350 thousand people, depending on who you want to listen to, and you're doing, uh, you have a homicide rate like that nothing good is going on with regard to um, us being able to to take care of it now now homicides are one measure um which like i said i focused on because i saw this this uh this survey uh of the of the biggest cities and in the highest uh uh, murder rates per capita but it's not just homicide right we're talking about other violent crimes as well do you i don't know if you have any statistics but you're in the streets you see it on a regular basis can you talk about the other violent crime and where it is in this in the city well, not not specifically with numbers, but I can tell you this. Uh, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Um, the only thing that you can judge a, a city's crime rate on is homicides because that's the only number that whoever's doing the statistics can't cook, if, if that makes any sense. You know, we have bodies. We have families. There's no Don't way that you can lie about that. There's Sorry no about way this, that Steve. You can go lie. That's okay. There's no way that you can can uh, fudge that statistic. And um, so if you watch the homicide rates in this city and other cities, um, the, the violent crime rates will follow. And we have, in Cleveland, we are blessed with the best hospital system in the country, by far, in my opinion, anyhow, and a great EMS and fire system. All our firemen or paramedics are... EMTs, the you know, so we get to people very quickly, and they save a lot of lives. If not for that, um, our homicide rate would be astronomical. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Steve Loomis, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, uh, now, of course, a detective, and continuing to, um, and by the way, uh, congratulations on your part in solving the murder of Officer Bartek. I know you did the... Um, 
the initial interrogation and and secured the confession of Tamara McLeod, who was just convicted and is now facing life in prison without the possibility of parole. So you, you're right. Yeah. In the, yeah and, and I'm so glad, you know, justice is done for our officer Bartek's family. Nothing, of course, will make it uh, right and nothing will make him come back. But yeah. um, but congratulations on that. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I just want to just on that note, since you brought it up, um, that was a huge effort. Um, the Richmond Heights is actually the cops in Richmond Heights and the chief in Richmond Heights allowed their officers to continue to chase Shane's car. And that really is, uh, what broke the, broke the case. So it's, it's not just one person or one interview. There was a whole bunch of wheels moving in that process. And, um, and we had a good ending for it for the family. Yep, and that's exactly. what it's all about. So the best ending you that. can hope for in a situation like that. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you uh, brought up the other officers as well. Now, to that end, it being a team effort every time there's crime, let's talk about what the team looks like here in the city of Cleveland. I want to play a little clip here. This is, I believe, uh, Councilman Mike Polensic at Wednesday's uh, council meeting addressing police staffing. We need to work collectively to get more classes on, um, and we need to include that in the budget. Unfortunately, it was not included in the, in the previous budgets. Um, um, to bring on additional officers. Public safety. How bad is the uh, the situation? Uh, well, according to what City Council uh, discussed on Wednesday, you are budgeted for one thousand six hundred forty officers. And I always like to refer to the, or, or repeat that word, budgeted. That means you don't have to get another grant. You don't have to ask for money from the state or the feds or or, any, or raise city income taxes or anything of that nature. It's already in the budget, and you are two hundred eighty two officers below that budgeted amount. Um, Steve, how does that impact the job you're able to do, you and and the other, you know, uh, 1,358 officers on the force in Cleveland? It's 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 huge. I mean, it, imagine what we could do with 300 more cops right now. Um, we're we're struggling. These these young officers out in these districts. There's five districts. There's three shifts in each district, and there is not one shift in any of those districts where there's not at least three people working on their day off, working mandatory overtime. Sometimes it's up to six or seven um, folks. You are going to burn these guys out. And what type of work product, if you're working, uh, you know, 20, 30 hours of overtime a week, um, that just increases the possibility that you make a mistake. You know, it's there's nothing good going on here. And, Bob, they've known forever. When I was the union president, I would send them a, uh, an annual letter, the city of Cleveland, an annual letter um, discussing these issues. We knew this is mathematics. We know if you hire four or 500 cops five, uh, uh, 25 years ago with under Mike White, um, that those four or 500 cops are getting ready to retire right now. And I'm one of them, you know? So, so there was no planning. It was just, mismanagement um, at, at a magnificent level. And that's not the chief. The chief does the best that he can do with the resources that he's given. But for Mike Kalendick to sit there and say, oh, you know, this is a huge problem that just sprung up on us. No, he's part of the problem. You know, he retired, is collecting the retirement check, and is getting paid by the city of Cleveland to do the exact same job that he did before. And, we can't get a decent raise in this. You know, it's a missed opportunity, um, and but it has nothing to do with the money, and it never has. You've never heard me on your show complaining about money. But when you're in a problem like this and you can't attract 
people and you can't retain people, um, money is an issue, you know, but the, the city, they came, they gave the, uh, the cadets a dollar an hour race. So now they're making what a, a, a burger flipper at McDonald's is making, you know, 16 bucks an hour. Um, it, it's a, it's a ridiculous notion. And the biggest problem is that these officers are more fearful of this consentry, this, the, 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 the leadership in disciplining and trying to charge police officers, you know, just this national false narrative. Um, that's the, that's the biggest problem here. When you have, you know, more police officers fired in the city of Cleveland in the last three years than you did the previous 10, there's a problem there, you know, and those are political firings. And most of those folks are getting their jobs back. You don't hear about that in the media, but they do, which is why they don't want the unions around, why they want to mess around with language to help this issue 24 nonsense. Imagine that you and I, imagine you and I sitting on a medical review board, judging what some surge, a mistake, some surgeon made. That's exactly what these folks are. They have no idea at all what what life is like out in the streets. They're unforgiving. The life in the streets is well, unforgiving but, but, for the police officers. But let's take that, yeah, and, and let's let's take your comparison there and put it into some context. Most people wouldn't have an uh, intrinsic bias against surgeons looking for something that they did wrong, and yet the people that are appointed to these review boards are very deliberately chosen. Uh, they're activists, anti-police activists in most cases, who want to be there to quote-unquote find and correct all of the bad policing and the racism and the you know uh, systemic uh, uh, bias that they have in the police force. That's the problem here. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, you have people out there who are going to be judging the actions of the officers without having the expertise to know what the officers are trained to do, and yet automatically have a bias uh, against them. And that's what makes it even more difficult, which is why I'm sure one of the right reasons, as you pointed out, money is one of them, but support uh, for the jobs that they do, especially in difficult times when difficult decisions have to made have to be made, I'm sure is what's uh, you know leading so many of them to uh, either retire, as you say, just resign and go work somewhere else. Um, it's it's impossible. So, Steve, is this exactly is what's happening right. in Cleveland just you know an example of the the uh, abolishing of police departments or the defunding of police departments, not by literally taking funds away, but by attrition and just and just yeah, we're not sure. replacing anyone. Um, we're turning into Portland or Seattle. Um, our consent decree, as a matter of fact, is an exact replica of Seattle's consent decree. Okay, if you want to talk about that for two seconds. That thing was supposed to be a three-year, four-year, maybe five-year um, deal. Um, we're still non-compliant, according to these federal monitors, who, by the way, are making $250 an hour to work on this thing. The city of Cleveland pays millions of dollars a year, millions of dollars a year, to support the, the folks that are monitoring our progress here um, as far as the consent decree goes. They have no... Uh, they have no intention of getting out of here anytime soon because they're going to be out of their $250 an hour job, right? So they're not motivated to to uh, work towards that end. Um, and, and now we have issue 24. You know, the, the, the folks at Cleveland were, were sold a bill of goods on this thing. You have activists on there. You have civil rights attorneys on there by statute. You have people that were... That's what uh, I mean by bias. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, a family member had to be killed by the Cleveland Police Department. You know who you don't have? You don't have the, the, the fourth-generation African-American uh, father that just retired from Florida that lives out in Lee Harbor. You don't have the the the, uh, the guy that just re- retired from Delco, from Chevy, you know, that's been living in Cleveland for four or five generations out in West Park. You don't have those folks out here. You have people that have no stake in the game uh, other than the other than to push their biases against the police department. So the city of Cleveland has done it smartly because they never came out, Frank Jackson never came out and said, we're going to defund the police. But what have they been doing year after year after year? Reducing our numbers, reducing our budgets, and that's where Polanzic comes in. So for him to sit there like a deer in the headlights, like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? While his ward is blowing up in a gang, in, in gang. Uh, uh, wars out there um, is absolutely disingenuous, especially given the fact that he's uh, uh, um, been here for so long, and he is the safety director or the safety committee chairman. So he knows what's going on. He gets these reports. He gets these staffing levels um, because the cameras are on and they're at a meeting. Now all of a sudden, oh, we got to do more to attract people. Stop, Mike. Let's fix this and stop politicizing it. Um, you know, you can redeploy the guys that you have. You can put two cars in every zone on day shift and afternoon shift. Um, and and let's get to work. Leave those cars in those zones. Those cops will take ownership of that zone. Who the good guys are, they'll know who the bad guys are. They'll know who the kids, the kids will know them by name. And that's what we're missing here. We're not reaching out to our kids in any way, shape, or form. You know, so... Um, the, the solution, there are solutions that can make things better that we could do right now. How much no of this, Steve, will to do it. Steve, how much of this is, uh, especially when you talk about putting two cars in every zone and uh, during these peak hours, how much of this is up to not the politicians, but the chief, the new chief? What is your thought on him? Um, the, the, oh, Chief Drummond? Yeah. Chief Drummond, Chief Drummond is a good guy. Um, does he? What I'm asking is, is he? You know, is, can he make these decisions that you're talking about as far as you know how how and where to deploy? Um. Yeah. Sure. I, I suppose he could recommend it. Of course, the chief of police doesn't run the police department in Cleveland. The, the mayor runs the police department. The safety director runs the police department. Politicians run the police department. Um. And and that's unfortunate because. Um, Chief Calvin Williams and Chief Drummond, I'm sure, is going to do the best he can with the resources that he's given. The problem is that the politicians aren't giving him the resources that he needs. We sh- there's no way we should be 300 cops below our budgeted strength. Like I said, that's math. We know who's retiring. We have an idea of who's retiring in the next couple of years. Um, so let's get busy and let's start attracting some people here. And you can't yeah. do that. Um, in, in a day, you can't do that by going to the barber shops on the east side or the barber shops on the west side. You have to present a program um, that's going to want that, that, that's going to entice young kids to come and take this profession. We knew, I knew Bob when I took this job that I wasn't going to get rich doing it. It was a calling. Is 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 as weird as that sounds, and it is. For, Doesn't sound weird at all. No, to do what you do. 
Everybody who's ever put on that badge and put on that vest and uh, and carried that sidearm, absolutely it is a calling. Yeah. And I, I firmly understand. It doesn't sound weird at all. Steve, I'm out of time, uh, but I'm glad you were able to shine a spotlight on this, and hopefully the citizens of Cleveland will get into the ears of their members of council and get into the ears yeah. of the of the young mayor and tell them exactly what uh, you know what is needed here because the people of Cleveland deserve better and the police well, of Cleveland the, deserve the better citizens, as well. So. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. The citizens should be considering right now a council reduction because we don't. Well, that's that's decades in the making, too. That's that's something should have been done a long time ago as well. Instead of reducing the number of police officers and budgets, reduce the number of council members because it is absolutely useless uh, to have that kind of number for this for this population. City Um, council will point a finger at the mayor and say, hey, he's the one that's not hiring them. Well, they're the ones that control the first strings so they can apply whatever pressure they need get that done and they're not doing it they're not doing it they ignored the situation until somebody gets killed in their ward steve loomis a former president of the cppa gotta go my friend thank you for the information we'll talk soon and i live here too i know you do i know you do thank you steve uh 957 we'll take this time out we'll get our newscast we're going to come back talk about something completely different stay with us it is a free-for-all friday by the way when you are ready to call uh we'll take your calls on any subject you choose 216-901-0945 back after the news you and i have a rendezvous with destiny We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward on this free-for-all Friday edition of Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Coming up on nine minutes now after the hour, 10 o'clock, hour two underway. It's the fifth morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. So Kirsten Cinema, of course, caved and cracked. I don't think anybody ever expected her to stand on her own. If she had Mansion by her side, maybe like they did against the original Broke Back Better or Build Back Broker, however you want to describe uh, the Democrats' tax and spend uh, Green New Deal uh, version. Uh, but, uh, no, she folded, so they are ready to go now. Um, she does want to see a couple of changes, but she said she's a, she's a yes vote. So they're calling it the Manchin-Schumer tax and spend bill. Let me rephrase. We're calling it the Manchin-Schumer tax and spend bill uh, in the United States Senate. They're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act of, uh, of 2022. Uh, it's blackmail. So says the Coalition Against Socialized Medicine, or at least its executive director. Democrats claim they want to reduce the price of prescription drugs as part of this bill, yet this could make your medicine even more expensive, uh, penalizing drug makers who don't go along with the federal government's price control demands. It's, it's kind of extortion. And joining us is now that executive director we referenced of uh, CPAC's Coalition Against Socialized Medicine. CPAC, you know very well, hopefully, as the Conservative Political Action Coalition. We've talked to Matt Schlapp from time to time. But uh, let's welcome Jack Calavratino. It's very easy for me to say. Uh, he uh, is, uh, has had leadership roles with the FDA, the Health and Human Services uh, Department, as well as the Office of Management and Budget. So nobody understand, understands this stuff as well as he does. Jack, good to have you here to explain it to us. How are you? 
Great. Uh, greetings from Dallas, from CPAC, and thank you so much for having me on in Cleveland. I really yeah, appreciate that. Absolutely. Wish I was down there with you, although it's a little too close to Austin for my taste, but uh, I do understand. Um, so, <laughs> so, Jack, let, let's talk about um, this, uh, you know, this exploitation, if you will, or extortion, whatever you want to call it. It's a scheme, and you know, drug makers uh, are are going to be hit very, very hard, and they're of course going to probably raise the prices on their good on their drugs on their medications and that uh, uh, the American people who need them to be, you know, to be uh, reasonable uh, are going to be in for a big surprise when they start to see their uh, their prices uh, rise. Tell us more about that, please. You are so right in how you just sort of teed that up. I mean, American innovators have fueled so many cures and so many important medicines, you know, around the world. Um, and in this country, we've never had price controls. We are not Europe and we're not Canada. Uh, we have Medicare. We have, you know, pretty good government support of lots of lots of health care. But it's false to call this some sort of inflation fighting thing. And you're right. It is extortion. They're basically saying to pharmaceutical companies, you will buy at the price we're going to set or we're going to tax you 95 percent on that particular drug. So the downstream impact on research and development is going to be massive. But who's in favor of it? Not only the Democrats, but there are insurers, ARP, which is actually an insurance company, um, and they're in favor of it because there are some reforms from the Trump administration that are going to be annihilated that found savings in the drug pricing you know, arena, uh, which we can get into regarding middlemen. So it's one big mess that the media is sort of like neatly packaging up as like the nice uh, price reduction um, elements of this reconciliation. They're really doing the American people a disservice by giving it this misnomer. Yeah, and you know, I, I do want to get into the middleman you just talked about. But before we do, why is no one talking about this? I mean, all of the everything that we hear about the tax and spend, we talk about how you know you're going to raise taxes during a recession. That's obviously a terrible idea. We talk about the green uh, uh, nature of this bill. You know, the the continued push toward renewables and what they call clean energy, which is also a misnomer. Nobody has talked about this this little um, you know carve out, if you will, um, which you know they say is an attempt to reduce the price of prescription drugs, but is ultimately going to lead to to an increase in their prices. I haven't heard anybody outside of CPAC and you you talking about this why do you think that is why do you think it's so secret it's very frustrating you you are right i think that democrats are clever about like putting important policy matters into big mega bills and this big mega reconciliation wasn't going anywhere because as we know you know mansion was standing up against it but um um it's almost as if the media is sort of celebrating that well it's moving now and it's this thing which includes, quote, green energy and pharmaceutical price reductions. It, it, and they're actually using the terminology of the left and of the Democrats in order to just simply report on it. But there's some pretty significant implications, which is why we here at CPAC are talking about it so much. Um, the Democrats, sadly, in a way, have won the war of words. They call it negotiation. When you think about it, who's against negotiation? We're Americans. We're capitalists. We believe in negotiating. But this isn't actual negotiation. It's a slippery slope towards socialized medicine. 
Well, and, you know, that's something else they don't want to talk about. You know, uh, when we talk about universal health care, is, that is socialized medicine. Everybody likes the sound of some of these things. So it's kind of like the name of the bill itself, this Inflation Reduction Act. It is not going to reduce <laughs> yeah. inflation. In fact, 230 economists uh, uh, came together to sign on to a statement saying this is going to, if anything, raise inflation over the course of the next two years, not by a huge amount, uh, but but enough that this is not inflation reduction. It's not even inflation inflation stabilizing it's inflation increasing and so you know their 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 dishonesty you say they've won the war of words that's because they control the the narrative through the media and through social media and anybody putting out information like you're doing right now or anybody else down there at CPAC in Dallas you know is essentially it's going to be it's going to be shadow banned it's going to be uh you know a prioritized lower on search results all of those kinds of things to make sure that people don't know it no, that is a good point, and that is a big topic here is the, the whole shadow banning and how big tech handles, you know, um, items from uh, from conservatives sort of blowing the whistle. But you are right. You know, there, there's a congressman from Vermont, a Democratic congressman, who said the quiet part out loud when he said the reason that innovators, manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies are against this because they know that it's just the first step of what we're planning. So he actually admitted uh, that this is the first step, and um, that is what really concerns us so much, is it's completely uh, attacking uh, the innovators that have made healthcare in this country. And I look at Cleveland, where, where you all are. I mean, my brother-in-law works for the Cleveland Clinic in, in Florida. Um, world-renowned healthcare. It's easy to bash American healthcare, but we set the standard in so many ways. And to score some political points, the Democrats are willing to hurt it through things like socialized medicine price controls. We are talking with uh, CPAC's executive director of the Coalition Against Socialized Medicine, Jack Calavertinos. Jack, um, can we speak about another area of healthcare and medicine? And specifically, I want to talk about the pharmaceutical companies that continue to push the COVID shots and uh, the COVID treatments. The president of the United States took two of those shots. Then he took a third shot, then he took a fourth shot. And now he got COVID, not once but twice, and continues to test positive day after day while using Paxlovid. He is like a, he's like a test case in front of the entire world, and it's proving that that doesn't work. Uh, none of it works. That treatment doesn't work. The, the inoculation is not an inoculation. They claim, well, but it makes you feel better, and it makes you not get quite as sick as you would be without it, so go ahead and get those things anyway. Uh, is there any way to rein in the uncontrolled power that these giant pharmaceutical companies seem to have over our federal government and thus over uh, the federal government's constituency? That is all of us. Well, I mean, I, I tend not to want to, you know, blame blame companies for that. I, I blame this administration and their allies in Congress for creating these mandates. I mean, it's perfectly fine. And the Trump administration, which I was part of, you know, achieved one of the greatest public health achievements of all time, which was Operation Warp Speed. But there were no mandates. There were no mandates. Now, of course, you know, Dr. Fauci was strongly pushing the masks, and we know that they don't work. But to have vaccines and to say to people, it's your option to take them, and here's the real data. It shows you're less likely to go to the hospital, but you still are likely to get it. To be transparent and honest with people and then let, let them make their own choice is what we as conservatives believe. Uh, some people don't want to take any vaccines. Others might want to take the first shot and not boosters. But this administration has done this mandate 
initiative, which was never planned by the public health experts. In the history of planning for pandemics, no one had ever said, you know what, we should have mandates where people lose their jobs if they don't get vaccinated. Well, you're right. That is that is the number one issue here is the lack of choice. Uh, 100% agree. Uh, the, the idea that you have to choose jab or job is one of the biggest criminal acts I think mm. I've seen in, in my lifetime. It is, it is, is absolutely reprehensible and indefensible. But having said that, I have a problem, and I agree with you. It is, it is, you know, it is kind of the public-private partnership here with these companies uh, being able to to develop these, not have tested them out over time, not have an idea of what the long-term effect is going to be on on people who take these shots. Watching just scores and scores of people having very serious adverse events as a result, and you can see this in the VAERS reporting system, and there's no repercussions, and there's nothing that tells them we need you to be a little bit more careful next time. There's nothing that says you are accountable for something that you didn't anticipate and you should have anticipated when you are pushing these uh, on 350 million American people. And that's what they're doing now that they're going all the way down to six months of age. That's kind of the point I ha- I'm making. There's no doubt that the mandate is the biggest, most egregious crime here. But the fact mm-hmm. that these companies, because they don't have anything on the line, all they have is profit. Billions per quarter is what they're taking in. All they have is profit, and there's nothing that says we got to be more careful here because, you know what, some people are actually being made worse by these things. Well, where, where is the federal government to say, and the Assistant Secretary of Health, you know, uh, from the, the woman from Pennsylvania who's the, who's the trans activist, and where's the current Surgeon General? Where is HHS to say, here's what we know from companies about what can and possibly happen with these drugs? Just the way, you know, if you see a pharmaceutical ad on TV now, we all know that they list all of the, uh, all of the side effects, so much so that it leads a lot of people not to want to take it. But the federal government, in a way, has actively hid a lot of that information from people so that they can make informed choices. And the other thing they've done is they've deprioritized therapeutics. And when I was in the Bush administration and America's first pandemic plan was unveiled, that was a very big part of planning was therapeutics. No, that is such an important point, and I will still not understand why there is a war by the Biden administration and by the media and by many in the scientific community. And, and I, again, I can't help it keep going back to this. You know, the, the influence that the, the giant pharmaceutical companies have. There's no massive profit in ivermectin. There's no massive profit in selling hydroxychloroquine. There is a massive profit in pushing the shots and mandating the shots. And there is a massive profit in Paxlovid as well. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. They have way too much power over, you know, American health policy. And I, and I guess I'm just looking for somebody to call that out and rein that in. Well, you know, it's it's important for people to speak their mind and to, and to also look, frankly, at it, at insurers who are in favor of the current legislation that we started at the top of the show talking about this reconciliation, uh, where mid- middlemen uh, gain from higher prices and therefore uh, savings that should be going to patients are are not. And so there's a whole topic you could do a whole show on ARP and on insurance companies that. Um, are seeking to keep the status quo and are perfectly good with these price controls, which frankly hurts the whole innovation environment. That is such an important point, too. You did mention the middlemen there at, at the beginning. Can you t- talk about who these middlemen are? Yeah, this, 
one of the most complicated, you know, areas of, of U.S. business is trying to understand, which I still myself fully don't understand, but the whole drug pricing um, architecture that occurs. You know, when you when you produce a car and you know what the costs are and, and you see a, a sticker uh, price of the car, you know, it, it's pretty transparent. But there's a whole murky world of how is it that list drugs, uh, pharmaceuticals um, are priced. And a lot of it has to do with contracts that middlemen have um, with insurance companies. So a lot of times, in order to get on their on their formulary or their menu, you know, they will they will cut deals uh, for that. And and savings that come from being on that formulary often go to insurance companies as opposed to the patient at the pharmacy. So the Trump administration did something that was pretty pretty bipartisan. Actually, it said. No, we, we want to limit that. There's this whole murky world that we want to limit, and we want those savings to go back to patients. Well, in this reconciliation buried in there is a provision that says, nope, we're going to do away with that. And that is really a shame because that was something that Secretary Azar, as he put it, he called it the Super Bowl of doing something about drug pricing. And frankly, the pharmaceutical companies are in favor of that. They're perfectly good with that because they would rather have savings go to patients as opposed to these rebates to insurance companies and to employers. Socialized medicine is very, very dangerous for all American citizens and and, and future and, and current patients. There's no question about it, but yet there it is, uh, a move toward that, an element of that within this quote-unquote Inflation Reduction Act, which, like so many other things in the Brandon administration, is completely misstated for their own political gain. CPAC's Executive Director of the Coalition Against Socialized Medicine, Jack Calavertinos. Jack, thank you so much for coming on. Enjoy the rest of the, uh, the convention down there in Dallas. I wish I was there. But uh, I know you guys are doing a great thing for the American people. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. A lot of great things. Uh, great to hear that Matt Schlapp has been on with you. He, he does such an amazing job here and his wife, Mercy, and Dan Schneider. So thank you so much. And I'd uh, love to come back on at some point. We, would, we, we will take you up on that. You better believe it. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Jack Calavertinos of the uh, of CPAC, uh, the Co- Coalition Against Socialized Medicine. It's 1024. We'll take a quick time out. And guess what? That's our last guest of the morning. So the free-for-all Friday that I celebrated at the very beginning is real. So anything you want to talk about from now until the end of the broadcast, any issue at all, it's a free-for-all. You choose the topic. You call with your question or comment, and we'll do it on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Ten twenty seven now always right radio. AM fourteen twenty the answer. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to uh, my guest, Jack Calavert uh, Calavertino. That's not an easy one. Steve Loomis, that was much easier. Steve Loomis joined us in the uh, nine thirty uh, portion of the show. If you missed him, he's the former uh, president of the Cleese Police Patrol Boy, I'm just really tripping over it, aren't I? Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association. He's also a Cleveland resident. He's lived there his entire life. And, and this stuff matters to him, not just as a cop, but as a resident. And, and he's just as concerned about the safety of his family, his kids and his grandkids, as anybody else is about theirs as well. You know, so you got people like this speaking out about this terrible crime wave that's going on in the city of Cleveland and the city of Cleveland leadership doing nothing about it with police staffing. It's, uh, it's very frustrating for him, I know, and, uh, and so many others. All right, um, let's go to uh, Sally, who's calling us from Berea on a free-for-all Friday now on Always Right Radio. Hi, Sally, go ahead. Hi, Bob. I just wanted to latch on to the um, 
danger of the request for mail-in ballots because they just want an emergency to take advantage of that. And I thought that they would um, look at the increasing COVID um, numbers and use that, but that hasn't resulted in major lockdowns. And so then when this emergency came up with a World Health Organization, they want to use that with the monkeypox. But guess what? You're not afraid to talk out about it, and neither am I. Everybody that knows me knows I'm not a homophobe or a racist, and we need to just slam the legislators, bombard them with no changes in elections because of, you know, last-minute changes because of health issues like this. Don't let them have that excuse and, and just scream that we won't allow it. Well, there's the, there. you just said it. That's the key. The words we all need to be repeating and, and becoming louder with again and again and again with more frequency as we move toward November is we will not comply. We will not comply with these ridiculous mandates, these orders to lock down, these orders to just mail in your ballot. We're not going to ba- we're not going to vote at the ballot box. It's too dangerous. You might catch monkeypox from the person in front of you because I guess you might be having gay sex in line at the voting booth, uh, which is exactly what is causing this, as I explained in the first segment of the show. Uh, we will not comply with these ridiculous histrionics in an att- attempt to. Uh, to once again commit in what my estimation is nothing less than voter fraud. Voter fraud and uh, voting irregularities in order to create chaos to stop themselves from losing big in November. Thank you for the call, Sally. I appreciate that. It's uh, 1030. We'll come back with more calls. Uh, Free for all radio the rest of the way. 216-901-0945 on Always Ready Radio. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Rolling on 10:38 on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. We are in the uh, in a terrific mode right now on this Friday of Free for All Friday Radio. Anything that you want to talk about is fair game. Any of the issues we have discussed already, anything we have not that you are angry we haven't discussed, and you want to you want to fix that. You want to you want to um, remedy that right now. You can do so. Uh, dial it up, and we will take your phone calls and just about anything. I do have a couple of things that I do want to launch into. However, as you decide what you want to do, Brittany Griner. You don't know her. You shouldn't know her. She plays for the WNBA. She has been locked up in a uh, in a Russian prison, or jail anyway, held in a Russian jail for the last several months. I don't know if that has impacted the WNBA or not, because I don't know if they're in season. Does anybody know if they're in season? I literally don't know. Chances are, Brittany Griner being one of the biggest stars in the WNBA uh, is costing them probably hundreds of dollars in losses because she's not there. Um, Nobody knows who she is. Nobody has ever really heard of her before other than the fact that she has been detained and arrested and tried and now convicted in Russia of having cannabis. 
To be specific, it was cannabis oil in one of those vape pen things that the young people like to do. She's not even that young, I don't think. I think she's been around the league for quite some time. Anyway, that's the only reason you probably know her. You don't know of her for, for her prowess on the basketball court. You know her because she's been arrested and now convicted. And now uh, a whole bunch of people on the left want this NBA, WNBA star to be released from prison in Russia. And they want Joe Biden to do whatever it takes to get her out. Joe Biden is willing, according to reports to trade some high-value Russian prisoners who have been convicted in American courts of things like, you know, arms dealing, one so prolific and profound that he has been dubbed the merchant of death because he sells death by way of guns to criminals. You thought I was going to slip into a trap there, didn't you? A Second Amendment trap. Ah, guns are death. No, 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 only in the hands of criminals. When they're in the hands of law-abiding citizens, they're defense mechanisms. But at any rate, um, he's willing to trade for her. And again, that's about the only reason you know that she's in the news. Here's another reason you should know her, however. She is one of a growing number of celebrities, mildly, moderately celebrities in her case, athletes, uh, performers, actors, musicians, and so on and so forth, who just basically um, you know, has no problem announcing her hatred for the country. She is one of those who decided I won't stand for the national anthem. And if I'm not allowed to kneel for the national anthem, then I won't be present for the national anthem because this country representing by, represented by that anthem is systemically racist. It's oppressive. It's unfair to people of color. It's unfair to LGBTQC because she's also gay. So she is a gay, black, celebrity basketball player, and she likes weed. And she was too stupid to understand that when you go into a place like Russia, you probably shouldn't do things that are illegal. They don't take kindly to that in places like this, and they don't take kindly to Americans in general. She has just been sentenced now to more than nine years in prison on this drug charge uh, and fined $16,300. She uh, claims that she should be acquitted because they failed to prove criminal intent, that she wasn't trying to deal that that was only for her own personal use. The Russian court said, <laughs> yeah, so what? You're still in prison. Now, I bring all of this up, and I bring up her anti-American attitude because there are a lot of people who feel like she is a political prisoner and not a prisoner who committed a crime. Nabbing somebody and putting them in prison for things like um, manufactured espionage charges, the way another American being held in Russia is is uh, is you know is you know what he's enduring right now. That's a different story. That's a political prisoner. Paul Whelan has been held there for a very, very long time, and nobody made one move to get him out. Why? Because he's not a tall, black, and gay WNBA player. He's not a celebrity in any measure of the word. So, therefore, he has been languishing in a Russian prison, and nobody cares. Now, suddenly, they're talking about, well, maybe if we can get uh, Brittany Griner out because there's, you know, LeBron James says she should be free, then maybe we can get Paul Whelan out as well. Paul Whelan actually loves this country, unlike uh, Brittany Griner, which has kind of led a lot of people to saying, you know, maybe she's um, starting to develop um, something of a, a newfound appreciation for freedom in America that maybe she didn't have before. And it's kind of funny. 
And when I say funny, I don't mean laughing out loud, ha-ha funny, but it's a little bit laugh out loud funny, too. So many times we have leftists in this country who say this, they hate this country, that it's systemically oppressive, it's racist, it's irredeemable, uh, it, is, uh, it is, you know, unfair to uh, marginalized groups, uh, you know, protected classes like gays and like, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 racial minorities and so forth. And we always say, you know what, Why don't, if you don't like it in this country, go move to another one. Live there for a little while. Find out if you like it better. Find out if, if, if minorities or LGBTQ people or anybody else, see if they're treated any better in another country. Go check it out. And oftentimes they volunteer to say, we're going to Canada if Trump wins again. We're going to Canada if the Republicans are in charge, blah, blah, blah. Well... Here's Brittany Griner, who's living that experience right now. Now, admittedly, she didn't go to Russia because, specifically, she hates the United States, although it is documented that she does. She went there to play basketball because she wasn't making enough money for her for her taste in the United States. After all, WNBA players who have tens of fans at their games don't exactly generate enough money to generate big incomes the way the NBA does. I think the entire WNBA payroll is around $12 million a year, whereas individual players in the NBA, in the NBA, the males, make $40, $50 million per year by themselves. But they have a market. They, they actually sell tickets, and they actually get television ratings, and you get a whole bunch of people who want to advertise and, and pay them those things. But at any rate, <clears throat> Brittany Griner um, went to the WN, or excuse me, went to Russia to play basketball, in addition to her WNBA schedule, because she says she wasn't making enough money in the WNBA. But the point is, she's now getting a taste of what it's, what it's like to live in a country that does not provide all of the freedom that the United States does. You get popped with cannabis oil depending on where you are in the United States. First of all, it might be completely legal if you're in one of the dozen and a half or so states that have legalized recreational weed, where cannabis is considered to be not a threat and not a danger. But even in, in states where it has not been legalized for recreational use, you're talking about a misdemeanor and maybe a $50 fine. Maybe. But that's the point, isn't it? The United States of America is the greatest place in the history of human civilization to live your life. You are granted almost limitless freedoms, as long as you're not harming other people for the most part. You're granted almost limitless freedoms, whether you're white Black, Hispanic, Euro-American, Asian-American, any ethnicity, any color, any race, you're granted unlimited freedoms. And it's equal for all. It is equal for all. You have opportunities to earn money in the United States unlike anywhere else in the world, pretty much no matter what you do. If you're a celebrity and an entertainer, you're going to make more money in the United States than you will ever think about making in a South American country, an Eastern European country. If you're a plumber working in the United States of America, you're going to make more here than you are in a, in a European country, in a South American country, in a Central American country, uh, in a you know in a in a Nordic country, anywhere else. You're going to have opportunities to grow your wealth. You're going to have opportunities to learn and earn. To survive and to thrive, unlike anywhere else in the world. 
And sometimes it takes going to another country and realizing that you aren't free there to realize what you had here. And I'm wondering if Brittany Griner is now a, a poster child for that, for all of the leftists who say, man, I hate this country, the United States isn't fair, it's not uh, great, it's not exceptional, it's, it's racist, it's irredeemable. I wonder if she isn't a poster child for saying, y'all need to shut up because I wish to God I had a chance to salute that flag and to return to the land of the free and the home of the brave now that I have experienced what it's like in a communist country. And for those leftists who border on communist, who say that they are social uh, or uh, democratic socialists or Marxists, who think that this is a better way to give the government that kind of heavy-handed control over its citizens... I hope this is a lesson to you as well. Last night, 2 o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep. Actually, was sleeping okay, but just kind of woke up just in a dead wake-up period. Grabbed my phone, checked to see if I had any messages. Never know what's going to happen in the middle of the night. Checking the news flashes that come across my phone. So I'm just glimpsing, and I saw uh, a story about Brittany Briner, and I saw somebody, Brittany, Brittany Griner, not Brittany Briner, excuse me, Brittany Griner. And somebody had uh, posted something that I thought was kind of funny, a comment next to the story of Brittany Griner being sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison for her drug offense. And somebody said, I hope they pipe the national anthem the star-spangled banner, into her cell for the next nine years. That banner, excuse me, that anthem that she hates so much. I hope she's forced to listen to it again and again and again. And for some reason, some bizarre jolt of creativity came into my head, and I just I opened up my notes app on my phone. This is 2 o'clock, 2.10, 2.15 in the morning. And I typed, oh, say, can you see Brittany crying at night? As opposed to, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? And I was just going to post it on Facebook just to be a clown and on Truth Social. Oh, can you say, oh, say, can you see Brittany crying at night? Just because I can. And, and there's a very, very strong part of me, the patriot in me, that says, good, I hope she is. Because she was bad-mouthing this country every opportunity she got. Oh, say, can you see Brittany crying at night? And then something just hit me. And I, and I, I just thought of the lyrics of the actual national anthem. What so proudly we hailed could be replaced by while so hopelessly jailed. <laughs> and... By the twilight's last gleaming could be replaced by she still thinks that she's dreaming. And suddenly, I had a song on my hands. And so I wrote all four verses of the national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. I rewrote it uh, as an ode to Brittany Griner. And I want to share it with you in spoken word because I can't sing a note. Johnny Hiles, who's my producer... And our border op- board operator, who does so many tremendous things for us, can. He's also in a band. He can. And we're going to try to cajole him and coerce him and threaten him and ask him nicely to record this over the weekend so that we can play it for you on Monday. 
But I did try to make it syllable by syllable and line by line and end rhyme by end rhyme, the national anthem. So I just want to share this with you because what the hell, if I couldn't sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning because this stuff was going through my brain, then somebody else ought to suffer through it as well. Oh, say can you see Brittany crying at night while so hopelessly jailed she still thinks that she's dreaming. Her small cell and iron bars don't allow for much light. In her shackles, she walks. At her fate, she is screaming. At the commies, she glares, her rage filling the air. She's now seeing the light. Her homeland was quite fair. Oh, say is America, the land she now craves. Would it feel more free than a dark Russian cave? Can you dig it? And yes, I'm giving myself a two. By the time I was done, two forty-five in the morning. Can you dig it? So that is my ode to the Brittany Griner story. Be careful what you wish for when you wish you were in a better country or a different country. You just might get it, Brit. I'll be right back. Ten fifty-six, always right radio, AM fourteen twenty the answer, and it's a free for all Friday. You pick the topic and we'll talk about it together. Let's go to Ron in Grafton, Ohio, Lorraine County land. That's my territory. Hey Ron, go ahead, sir. Hey Bob, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um uh, basically there's something that hasn't been publicized very much in the uh normal news and well <laughs> you call it normal. Um <laughs> The um, local newspaper seems to be hitting on it a little bit, but it should be it should be national attention. This lawsuit with the Gibson's Bakery against Oberlin College apparently they won this suit a number of years ago, and Oberlin College is dragging their feet. They refuse to pay the Gibsons their money due, and you're talking millions now. Uh, apparently, two of the previous owners, well, two of the Family owners of the business has already passed on. That's right. So they they cannot really feel the the energy of this lawsuit. But it's it's really sick for this college to be doing what they're doing and withholding the money they owe. They won the court case. That is the bakery did. Yeah. And they're still you know they're still hey how about the money where is it and it's just sick to see this happen. And that's they won. really what I wanted yeah, to talk and, and about. I'm glad, and I'm be... glad you brought it up. And, I'm gonna, and I, I want to make people aware of something, too. You probably already know this, Ron. Um, Gibson's is in trouble. Gibson's is in yes. serious trouble of going under and literally having to close their doors. Um, so much uh, of, of, of their business was hurt by this in 2016. This is when this whole thing went down. It's been six years now. Um, when uh, since this it was right after Trump was elected and this whole this whole incident went down and Overland College began to slander and smear this longtime family-owned business as being racist for daring to, def- to defend itself against against shoplifting, and I believe the judgment after all was said and done was for forty-four million dollars. Forty-four million dollars that was reduced down to around twenty-five million or something simply because of the cap in the state of Ohio. So they got the maximum amount possible, and now here we are, six years after the incident, about three or four years after the verdict, and they haven't paid a nickel. And a new story just came out last month, maybe you saw it, 
Oberlin College is now facing $4 million in interest that they're going to have to pay also because they have not paid this debt. So, so you know, because this money should be in Gibson's, <clears throat> excuse me, Gibson's coffers right now, uh, hopefully generating interest on its own. Oberlin is, is default, has defaulted on this debt. Uh, the college, and they are essentially going to ride this all the way to the Supreme Court if they can to avoid having to pay. Meantime, this family-owned business, which has been around for, what is it, 110 years or something, uh, is, is, is going to go under because they suffered so many losses when this all happened, and now, like you pointed out, uh, the two, two of the two uh, senior patriarchs of the family who were running it have passed away, and now uh, they just cannot, they cannot do enough business to sustain, to sustain themselves. It's criminal, and Ron, thank you for bringing it up. I haven't talked about it enough myself in recent weeks or months, but I'm glad you brought it up, because we do need to do something to try to help that business. 1059, Always Right Radio, right back. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past the 11 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday. It is the fifth morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Always Right Radio, week in review. Our second week of Always Right Radio in review, and uh, we like to take a few of the highlights that we have um, we have chosen over the course of the past week that maybe you missed or maybe you heard but you need to hear again, and that is our Week in Review. We'll do this every Friday at 1110, and we're going to start with J.D. Vance, Senate candidate J.D. Vance, talking about Bidenflation, the reality of the American economy, and his race against Tim Ryan for Rob Portman's seat. Bidenflation has such a nice ring to it, just like Bidenomics does. Biden's session doesn't flow as well, but it's just <laughs> as dangerous uh, to middle-class Americans. Um, what do you make of the left's reimagining of the word recession? What do you make of their, 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 their desire to say, no, 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 we haven't for decades and decades and decades uh, used the technical definition of, of recession as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. They're literally trying to rewrite that word like they did vaccine, like they did woman, like they did mother. They're, they're trying to change the uh, our vernacular, I guess, in order to advance their agenda. But, but this is a legitimate recession, isn't it? Uh, it certainly is, and I, it's something straight out of George Orwell, Bob, because it's not just, you know, you mentioned, you know, redefining gender, redefining recession, redefining whether an open border is, in fact, a secure border. And the thing that I don't understand about what they're doing is 
Look, man, it, it's not like if we're not in a technical recession that all of us are looking around saying, oh, man, things are great because Janet Yellen said that we don't technically fit the definition of recession. Like, th- people realize that things aren't going very well. And so rather than, like, fix the underlying problem, they're haggling over the definition of the word. I just find it so bizarre. Like, I, I obviously disagree with it. I also don't know what they think they're actually doing. Well, you know, I found it interesting, Biden's statement, um, you know, about the, the GDP number and about the two consecutive quarters. He never, ever mentions the word recession. He's leaving that to all of his flunkies to go out there and say it's not really a recession. But all he continues to focus on is the one economic metric that is going well for the country, and that is unemployment continues to be low. Now, we have to take into consideration, obviously, the workforce participation rate, which plays a factor in that, too. But it is literally the one economic indicator that is going well now, and that's the only one they grab onto. They won't talk about the uh, the, the CPI at 9.1%. They won't talk about uh, the uh, actual wholesale uh, inflation rate. Uh, they don't want to talk about uh, energy costs, gas costs, and so forth, other than to say that, hey, it's gone down 60 cents in the last 34 days. We're doing a great job. Never mind the fact that you raised it by $3 with your terrible policies. So the one metric they have is unemployment, and they think that C, that means we're not in a uh, in a recession. Well, I just don't know anybody who actually buys this, Bob. I know you don't. I don't think most of the people in Ohio do either. I mean, look, we, we we have a situation where every single small and large business that I talk to is desperate to find workers. We know, as you said, the labor force participation rate is low. And so how do you square that circle of labor force participation is low, uh, but also also unemployment is, is declining? Well, it's because so many people have just dropped out of the workforce altogether. And so, I mean, I guess it is a good thing for people to get back to work and to be searching for jobs. That's obviously a good thing. Um, but it's not a good thing that you still have so many people who have dropped out entirely, right? So, so, so the economic indicators here are all pointing the negative direction. And, and the really crazy part about this, you know, this is, this is sort of the maximum Orwell thing that's going on right now, is they're proposing a piece of legislation called the Inflation Reduction Act that spends hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer money, Bob. And, and of course, if you look at what it actually does, you know, one of its big provisions is giving rich people money to buy electric vehicles. Like, how is that going to solve the inflation crisis? And how is that something the government should be involved in, even if we didn't have an inflation crisis? It's all just so, so insane. And I have to say, Bob, that the guy who has supported Joe Biden 100% of the time is Tim Ryan, because we know that as he pretends in Ohio to be a moderate, he has supported every single one of these inflationary policies, every single one of these recessionary policies. And people, I think, are just fed up. They're sick of it, and they want just a little bit of sanity. That was J.D. Vance. On Monday, we spoke with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. Joe Manchin caved and agreed to pass the anti-inflation bill, as they like to call it. Jim Jordan is having none of it. So Joe Manchin caved. You know, we've had so many um, so many reasons to say thank you, Senator Manchin, for standing up to your party. Thank you. You know, he's he stood up against uh, packing and against the filibuster, and, and he, fil- he stood up against uh, uh, broke back better and all the rest. But now he agrees to a version of it, if you will. Um, Congressman, I'm just going to ask you plain. Uh, Schumer and Manchin say this bill will lower inflation. 
but they said the very same thing about the American Rescue Plan before, which, of course, started this massive increase to 9.1% CPI uh, increase in inflation. So um, does this lower inflation, or will this actually make the problem worse? There is not a person with any common sense uh, who thinks this thing is going to help on the inflation problem. I mean, you spend crazy amounts of money. When you tax people more, which is what's in this bill as well, when you do all those things, you are going to make the problem worse. Anyone with a brain understands that. But the Democrats keep saying something different, just like they said before, as you said, oh, this will help. Remember, Joe Biden said if we spend more, it's going to help inflation. There's not a rational person on the planet who believes that. And then they said, oh, no, it's just it's just it's transitory. It's temporary. And then, of course, you had the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen say, I'm surprised that we have inflation. It kind of snuck up on us. How can it sneak up on you when you spend like crazy, pay people not to work and drive up the cost of energy? You know, you're going to get inflation. Everyone knows that, except it seems these Democrats. But my guess, my, my gut tells me they know it, too. They're just lying to us and telling us that somehow it's going to be reality is not going to be reality and it's going to be something different. The Penn Wharton uh, Business School studied this and uh, released its findings on Friday. You probably saw it as well. And they said this massive spending package will, in fact, slightly increase inflation over the next two years if, indeed, it is passed and signed. Uh, not only will yep. it not decrease, it won't stay the same, it will slightly increase it, perhaps 0.05% over the next two years before finally getting a marginal drop of 0.25% in the late 2020s. If they don't want to believe Republicans, can they believe Penn Wharton, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, I, the American people are smart. The American people have common sense. The American people think like, come on, come on, Joe. Uh, come on, uh, Schumer. Come on, Manchin. We know this is not going to uh, do anything but make it make the matter worse. And um, and the green uh, again, components of this bill can only do bad, you know, terrible things for, you know, his his coal mining state of West Virginia. It just makes me wonder yeah, what, I, what are they, you know, no, I don't, know, I don't understand why he, he changed when he was literally doing what he thought was best for the people of West Virginia, which is what any senator should do. And yeah. suddenly he flipped. I don't know why. I don't either. And I, I thought the same thing. Like, how is this for, for West Virginia, an energy producing state, a coal state? I, I don't I don't get that either. Um Maybe it's just, who knows, maybe it's the pressure of D.C. finally. I I don't know. Always Right Radio Week in review continues. We spoke also uh, early this week with Patrick Wood, the executive director of Citizens for Free Speech, about the growing, ever more dangerous World Health Organization. Patrick, tell us about uh, first the WHO as you see it, and then we'll get into the specifics of this bill, where in which you know we as a as a nation need to say the way it's worded on the on our Citizens for Free Speech webpage, we are done with the WHO's suppression of free speech. What is your impression of the WHO, Pat? Well, it's turned into be pretty much a, a dictatorial uh, body that uh, wants to control all health on planet earth and it goes much deeper than that but that's the world health organization's goal and tedros now as you mentioned earlier is uh turned into be the, the, the kind of like the sole authority on declaring pandemics and endemics and health emergencies etc in the world uh even going against their own advisory committee's recommendations and this is a dictatorship it's turned into a dictatorship but even worse than that the World Health Organization has been the prime driver of censorship against their narrative in America and really in the world, but especially in America. That's one reason why, you know, when people want to talk about this on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, they get canceled, can't ask questions, can't discuss it. 
uh, can't call out any dangers that there might be in it. And the World Health Organization has been corrupting free speech probably for decades. But we see it most intensely now since COVID has started now. Monkeypox is on top of us because of what Tedros has done to declare a health emergency. This has to stop. And, and we should uh, we should we should clarify that too, Pat, because when you talk about it being kind of a dictatorship, the World Health Organization now, here's an example of what we're talking about. The WHO Director General Tedros, and I don't even try on the last name, took the unprecedented measure of ignoring the agency's special advisory committee to declare the spread of monkeypox a public health emergency of international concern. He said he had to play the role of tiebreaker in what was a panel, a nine to six decision, a nine to six decision against declaring this a global emergency. He quote broke a nine to six tie. Pat, have you ever seen a tie in which there were three more people voting against something than for something, and then somebody saying, "Well, that's a tie. I guess I'll break the tie." I've never seen anything quite like that. No, this this is absolutely ridiculous. He just made an a priori decision. He said to heck with you people. I am declaring. I, me, myself, and I am declaring a health emergency and you can just stick it in your ear. Uh, this is absolutely outrageous. It's, it's the stuff of which dictators are made. But, uh, but again, back to, the, you know, back to the, the core of it, what you will see now, anybody that dares to bring up something like this, like you just said, well, how can this be a tiebreaker when it's six to, uh, you know, nine to, six, six yeah. to nine? Um, it, you, you, you're going to see people canceled over this. You're going to see uh, Facebook posts taken down. Well, this, this is, you know, they'll say, oh, this is fake news. This is conspiracy theory or whatever. It's in your face, but you're going to see the censorship come out against the narrative of people who are going to criticize it. Mm-hmm. This is what's wrong. This is why we need to fight to maintain free speech in America. These people want to cancel us altogether. Uh, well, there are other organizations, Bob, you know that, that are probably just as bad as the WHO. But if we were able to take the WHO out of American politics altogether, that would send a message of shockwaves throughout the world. Don't mess with the U.S. Just, you know, just leave us alone. And that's what we're pushing for. That's what this bill, uh, H.R. 7806, is all about, is simply defunding and uh, getting defunding the World Health Organization and the United Nations and withdrawing from the treaty altogether. Yeah, well, we are obviously the primary funder of the United Nations. We are the primary funder of the World Health Organization. So by simply withdrawing, uh, that alleviates us of any of that responsibility, which would be a huge financial benefit to the American people. You're exactly right. But tell us specifically what 7806 says, Pat, if you can. Well, absolutely. You know, this is just an outright withdrawal from the United Nations, number one, but it also specifically mentions in Section 9. It's a simple bill, by the way. There's not, I think there's only 12 or 13 points to it. Section 9 in particular says, repeal the United States participation in the World Health Organization, and it cuts off all funding to them, period. Cold turkey is done. But it's also interesting that uh, H.R. 7806, in different, under different numbers, has been introduced uh, every year since 2015. So this is not a new concept by some legislators to you know keep this on the on the on the front burner. So when when one bill in one year expires, uh, it is being reintroduced back in. And this is a good thing because there's persistence to it and consistency. This time, I hope 
that it's going to gain traction. And certainly if it is passed in the House and or the Senate, uh, President Biden will not sign it. But come, you know, next uh, this fall when, uh, you know, when the midterms take place, the makeup of the Senate and the House can look a lot different than right now. And very potentially when 2024 comes around, the White House might look a lot different as well. So it's time to build the momentum for American people to stand up and say, we don't want this here. Listen to us. These people are not our friends. They're not helping us. They're destroying us. Get rid of them. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. Much like, you know, closing the border up, I guess, on the southern border. That's right. You know, quickly stop the invasion. Well, the World Health Organization is just one more point of, you know, enemy within the camp sort of thing. And we need our to get fi- rid of them. Our final clip on today's uh, Always Right Radio Week in Review. Jack Barsky, ex-KGB agent, schooled us about how dangerous the threat of the Soviet Union spying in the United States was then and how dangerous the current Russian government under Vladimir Putin and the CCP in China are in terms of spying on the United States now. Let me ask you about Vladimir Putin. He's ex-KGB, too. And he, of course, has all eyes upon him for the invasion of Ukraine. He has all eyes on him on the, from the Democrat Party here who blame him for everything that has ever gone wrong, uh, at least in the last you know, 10 years. They blamed him for helping Donald Trump win the presidency in 2016. They did a two-year investigation trying to prove it, which it wasn't true. Um, how dangerous is Putin uh, to to, I guess I could say to the world, but to the United States now. It's different than Soviet era, but this iteration of Russia under the leadership of Putin, how concerned do we have to be about uh, any any activities affecting the U.S.? Yeah, there, there's something that the KGB was involved in and that uh, as the Russian intelligence is involved in big time these days. It's called, we called it active measures. Uh, active measures uh, in, K- in KGB times uh, was fundamentally fake news. Uh, you know, producing fake news uh, and in, in injecting those those fake news items in, into uh, primarily uh, print media uh, that that were like sort of mainstream but left enough to to uh, publish something that's anti-American. And they had some success. Uh, Two examples are that uh, you know they they placed uh, the, the that the news that uh, the the AIDS virus was concocted in in a CIA lab, <laughs> and the the sort of funny one that that a lot of Americans bought into was that uh, J Edgar Hoover the the ex head of the FBI was a secret cross dresser. Generally, they weren't really that good at this because they didn't really know how American society functions and in order to to undermine a society you need to know you need to know about it and but but this is this has changed because uh, the, the, there's a whole lot of Russians who know how America functions some of them studied here uh, some of them had done business here and so what they're doing are they now, still here are they still here are there still I mean how, how, how deep would you say the Russian spying uh, uh, agency, if you will, is in the United States today. Uh, it's it's a matter of volume. 
Yeah. Uh, they, I don't. Th- I don't think they send people like me over over here anymore because it t- it takes a lot of time to find us, a lot a lot of time to train us, and a lot of time to maintain us. Since in 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 the old days, uh, there wasn't a lot of. Uh, going back and forth between the USSR and the United States, but now the, the borders are open both ways. And uh, I, I can guarantee you that every every person who came from Russia and, and, and to, to, to the United States was at least asked to help out, okay? And so what we have is a bunch of amateur spies, and some of them are... Are, are quite successful. You, you got it. Look, I'm not anti-Russian. I'm not saying you know you should like hate every Russian you you ever encounter, but but you ought to be very careful. But but the other thing that they're doing nowadays is the fake news are land, are landing on the internet, and there they are significantly more uh, successful. What 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 there is a, there's an army of uh, Russian hackers that. Uh, uh, Actually, pr- produce the fake news and and fake people on on Instagram and and uh, and uh, Facebook and so forth, mm-hmm. and and they attach themselves the fake people with with the fake news uh, to extremist organizations left and right, and in in that way, uh, you know they they uh, deepen the rift that we have already, and and that that is to to me it's very dangerous by by some estimates. Uh, <clears throat> Given by law enforcement and people who are uh, who are active in in cyber in cyber security, uh, it says that about twenty percent of the content on Facebook is come is coming out of Russia. Be aware. This has been Always Right Radio Week in Review. And holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. I can already see WRL out there. They got their licking their pencils around, trying to write fiercest as they can. Get every word of this here. Get every word of this. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. You ain't changed what God put in you, that DNA. You can't transcend God's creation. I don't care how hard you try. The transgender movement in this country. I want to know how Pastor Mark Robinson is only the lieutenant governor of North Carolina and not the governor of North Carolina. And what the living hey, I'll say it, I don't know how he's not a candidate for president of the United States. I love the man, love the man, and would vote for the man. You talk about loving Donald Trump for being a plain talker. Nobody talks as plain and as direct and as clear as uh, Lieutenant Governor Pastor Mark Robinson. I'll play that every day that I'm on the radio. 
Um, let's go back to the phones. BJ is waiting in North Olmstead. Hi, BJ. Go ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. A couple of things. Since you're a lyricist, how about doing one on America the Beautiful? I think that would be an interesting one. You can uh, the only reason I was inspired on the national anthem thing is because Brittany Griner protested it. So I just it, the two crossed well, the two crossed my brain at another, the same time. So that that's how that works. Send her another protest song. <laughs> anyway, if I may, I'd like to bring up a couple of points. Uh, one is why is George Soros supporting the freeing of these people that are beating up other Americans or shooting at them? And he's doing it with a purpose, and he's doing it publicly, and he's doing it openly. Why would he do that? Now, some of your callers want to call me anti-Semite because I'm bringing this up about George Soros. Too bad. The other thing is I'd like to have you become appointed the head of the new party. The party is Save America Party. For short, if you're not a member, you're not a sap. (laughs) Save America Party. Think about it. No, 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 no. We don't want to be a sap. Sap is a bad thing. Well, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Okay. If you play it backwards, it becomes something else. But Uh, the point I'm trying to make about the saps is the saps that are not willing to wake up and speak out and say what they're doing. Your program today has been about as blunt as it ever has been. There is no more time to pussyfoot about saving America. And we have to start being objective about who we point out and why we point it out. I, and I don't, and there's white people in this, in this country that would love to destroy America. So I'm not against any group, race, or, 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 or religious uh, hang-up, or uh, none of that. It has nothing to do about that. Saving America is the most important issue today for people that want to live in a free land. And it's going to take some kick-butt attitude, like you had today, in pointing out what you did, whether you're a lyricist and being humorous about it or satirical, whatever it takes. But right now, the senior citizen group in this country is enormous. They were the rock and rollers of the 60s. And my involvement with the seniors in North Olmsted, I'm going to be auditioning them for a show the 23rd of this month, is to have them go back to the 60s and revive some of that spirit. We need that spirit today that they had the 60s about government and behavior. Yeah, there was a lot of crap, but mostly they did a lot to wake up, and now they are in their 70s and 80s. It's a huge group. Well, anyway, you're not, you're not wrong about, about that at all. Like the... No, no yeah. I've been thinking. Since you've been talking, BJ, I've been thinking. I've been trying to improve upon SAP just in my head. And I've, I've come up with a better party. And I'll lead it. It's the strong party. Strong. Saving the Republic on God. How about it? What do you think? I knew you would do it. You know what? I knew you. You, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you you were going to start getting thoughts in your head, Bob. I know your head is swimming, but today you were outstanding, and I thank you for your program, and God bless you. You know I love you. Yes, sir. Thank you, my friend. God bless. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. There you go. The strong party. I want to be the leader of the strong party, saving the republic on God. That's the party that I want to back. If the Republican Party won't come back around to be, you know, conservative and constitutional the way it was intended to be, if they want to continue to rhino their way through and act like Democrats while calling themselves Republican, uh, I'll be more than happy to start another party. I know how third parties generally go in this country. They usually just the way of the dodo. They just kind of fizzle out. But I'll tell you what. I'll create the strong party just because I literally just created it in my head when he came up with the sap party, which I do not like. 
I do like the strong party. Saving the Republic on God. That's what we ought to do. Uh, Sister Mary Grace, welcome back to Always Right Radio. Go ahead. Oh, God bless you, Bob. Oh, you hit a home run today. I'm so excited. Yes. And I am fighting for us in all 88 counties in our Ohio. We're the only one that does not have a constitutional sheriff. So I just got this paper from my attorneys, and I said we need one. But it's in our Ohio Constitution. So have everybody look it up. And I'm telling you, it's all there. All right. Well, Sister Mary Grace, I, I appreciate so that. Big, bringing... And I'm praying for you always. Thank you You're very much. Proof. I could use them. They're I need excellent. them. <laughs> we all need it. I yeah, could cause do. a traffic jam. Prayers are needed all the time. Yes, yes, God ma'am, they are. America. Thank you very much, Sister Mary Grace. I appreciate the call, and I appreciate those prayers. I could use them. Pastor Mark Robinson, I feel like I just want him to take me home here for the rest of this sermon. You can't transcend God's creation. I don't care how hard you try. The transgender movement in this country, if there's a movement in this country that is demonic and that is full of the spirit of Antichrist, it is the transgender movement. It's time for grown-ups and time for Christians to start standing up and being unafraid to tell the truth. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.